Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. I want to welcome everyone that's a Georgetown campus regular. Also, our Sun City campus is here this morning. So a round of applause for our Sun City people. Also, I want to welcome you if you're watching online with us. So there is a longing in all of us for more. There truly is to be more, to risk more, to experience more. And yet so many Christians never really go all in with their faith. And so that's why a few weeks ago I laid out this challenge for all of us to take our spiritual walk to a whole new level. You know, in this series we're asking ourselves, is there a better life for me? Is there a deeper experience of God? Like what would happen if I did the one thing that is necessary, and that is to stay connected to God throughout the day? How would my life change if I took 60 days and I set a little alarm on my watch or on my iPhone, whatever it may be, to go off every 60 minutes? And when it does, I just connected with God for a few moments, and I talked with him about my heart's condition, and I listened to see if he has something for me to do. Now, if you've already joined in, if you've been a part of this experience, I want to talk with you for just a moment. Have you noticed that sometimes when that alarm chimes, you don't always want to do God with uh, life with God in those moments? Like, have you ever had that? You know, it's like beep, 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 beep. Oh, man, I just sat down in the recliner to relax. Like, what do you want, Jesus? When I first set my alarm, I didn't have it where it go out. It kept beeping and beeping, so I had to literally get out of my recliner, walk all the way. You know, beep, 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 beep. Oh, yeah, already? Like, time to tell Jesus how I'm doing again? Or, or maybe late at night, I'm sneaking into the freezer to get a drumstick ice cream cone, and it's like, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> like, you're right, Lord, you got me, okay. <laughs> or I'm driving down the road, I come to an intersection, I see a homeless guy with a sign, and I, in my mind, I'm judging him, thinking he's probably a poser, and it's like, beep, 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 beep. Yes, Jesus, thanks for that correction. And I know I'm not alone. I've talked with people, and they've shared some funny stories with me. You know, people have maybe been watching an edgy TV show or movie they probably shouldn't be watching, and it's like, beep, 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 beep. Well played, Holy Spirit. (laughs) You know, does this 60-60 experiment kind of feel like you've given God access to your Facebook feed, and he's constantly commenting on what's going on? Like you're reading your Bible or you're volunteering in a food kitchen somewhere and it's beep, 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 beep. And, you know, God liked your post. Three thumbs up from the Trinity pop up on there, right? (laughs) Or Jesus comments on the picture of you cutting somebody off in the parking lot after church. It's like beep, 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 beep. Sad crying face emoticon. I I made Jesus cry again. You know, I know being up here on stage, I'm supposed to be some kind of Jesus Jr. spiritual example for you, but when it comes to this whole 60-60 experiment, at least initially, I haven't always been into it. I mean, at times, it's been really cool. At other times, it's been pretty challenging. But I will say this, overall, overall, I'm connecting with God like never before. Overall, I'm really enjoying this. And if you're just joining us in this whole series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to stay connected to God 
by setting an alarm to go off every 60 minutes. Maybe it's on your watch, maybe it's on your phone. And when that alarm goes off, you're just going to take a few moments and interact with God. And so far in this series, we have talked about how to discern God's voice from the other voices in our head. But today, the rubber meets the road. The plot thickens a little bit because this morning, we're going to talk about where many, many Christians kind of bail out of this whole encounter with God. They politely bow out. And it's when we're called to obey. See, in John chapter 14, it says that if we truly love Jesus, we're going to follow his commands. Verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21 Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. See, we find obedience four times in this same paragraph. What are you trying to say, Lord? Well, often when God speaks, he asks us to take a step of obedience. See, faith requires a response. God initiates, and frequently, he's going to ask us to do something kind of challenging. And our part in the whole equation is to obey, to show that our trust in him is truly alive. You know, many years ago, there was a man by the name of Henry Blackaby, and he wrote this book called Experiencing God. How many of you are familiar with Experiencing God? Okay, it was my first introduction to this whole concept of following God's promptings, following God's leading in my life. And in a sense, Blackaby was conducting his own 60-60 experiment. And in that first year, 1991, 7 million people did that experiment. And it was revolutionary for me because up until that point in time, the whole idea of having a personal relationship with God was kind of nebulous to me. Like, how do you have a friendship with someone who's invisible? And the people that were in my church, they weren't very helpful Because they talked about this relationship with God as if it was natural, as if it was a given, but they never explained the mechanics of it to me, like how it works. And I was too embarrassed to ask. And so I kind of felt like an outsider. And I hate feeling like an outsider where all the insiders know the secret handshakes and language and terminology, and I don't. I mean, it feels terrible. And I thought about this. It would kind of be like if a normal person were to walk on the campus of Texas A&M, okay? And let me just say up front here, please, hear this disclaimer. I absolutely love the Aggies. I love Texas A&M University. Okay, yep, whoop, go ahead, get it out. Yeah, here you go. My oldest son, Nick, he's got his uh, undergrad and master's in accounting from A&M. It's a phenomenal school. But if you know about this school, you have to admit that they have some really strange traditions, okay? They have some really weird ways of doing things that other people don't understand, And I know this for a fact because they tried to explain these traditions to my wife and I during the parent orientation weekend. And literally, Wendy and I are looking at each other with just utter confusion and disbelief. And the best way I know how to explain Texas A&M is is it's like a cross between a 4-H farming club and they join the Illuminati, all right? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, they have all these practices. And if you know about A&M... Okay, first of all, they don't have cheerleaders, okay? They have yell leaders, all right? And these yell leaders, they're dressed in all white, and they get up in front of the crowd with these megaphones, get everyone all riled up. And the yell leader starts by screaming, hump it, ags, okay? Whatever that means, don't don't ask me. And when the yell leader does that, all the students bow down, and they begin to chant. And I'm telling you, nothing sounds or seems more cultic than a frenzied group of people you know, bowing before this screaming leader wearing all white, all right? 
And then Aggies, they, they all have these secret decoder rings assigned to them that they wear everywhere. They never take off. And, and when they see their friends around the world who are fellow Aggies, they just look at each other knowingly, right? And they get better jobs and better salaries. And when they first get these rings, just so you know, you know what their tradition is? They, they drop it in a pitcher of warm beer, and then they gulp it down all in one, just boom, that's it. Now, we made our oldest son use Odul's non-alcoholic beer for that. Still struggling to forgive us to this day, okay? But those are all real. I could go on, okay? I won't. Those are all real things. Of course, Aggies, we love you. We just don't fully get you, all right? And I share all that because here at Hill Country Bible Church, we don't want to be the kind of place where you come in from the outside, you have no idea what we're talking about, like where we use religious jargon that only the elite know. And so as I talk this morning about how to experience God, how to walk with God, how to do life with God, I want to set forth a framework that was first laid out, and this is a framework for experiencing God by Henry Blackaby in that book, Experiencing God, because I think he nailed it. And it happens in four phases, and I'll just walk you through all four up front, and then we'll talk through them. First of all, he says, an encounter with God requires faith. Second, encounters with God are God-sized. Third, what you do in response to God's invitation reveals what you believe about God. And fourth, faith should be followed by action. Now, let's talk through these this morning. First of all, an encounter with God requires faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, a relationship with God is different than a relationship with other human beings. You know, our relationships with people, our friendships are built on shared experiences, quality time, physical proximity, uh, you know, human language. It's true that we can relate to God through some of those mediums, but the primary basis for a relationship with God is faith. And what is faith? Well, look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, these two terms, confidence, it's the Greek word hypostasis and assurance, the Greek term alankos, they're unique and interesting. The word confidence is probably best translated as a guarantee. I mean, it speaks of a firm, certain, dependable foundation, something that you can bank on. And the word assurance, that really means proof of certainty. So when you have faith, it's a guarantee, okay? Faith gives us assurance that makes us certain that whatever Jesus promises, he will do. It's almost like it's already really happened. And I may not fully understand how it's all going to come to fruition, but I believe that it will. So first, encounters with God require faith. Second, encounters with God are God-sized. In order to help you to grow in your faith, to challenge you, to walk in faith, to build your trust in Him, God gives these opportunities to you. And oftentimes, these opportunities are a little bit bigger than you would feel comfortable handling on your own. If you read through Hebrews 11, it goes on to talk about how God put these God-sized tests between, before Old Testament characters, okay? And one of them is Moses, and that's who we're going to clue in on this morning. Take a look at Exodus 3, verses 1 to 4. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness 
and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Okay, so the year is approximately 1250 B.C., and God's people, the Israelites, were in slavery to the Egyptians. And so God is going to engage Moses and speak to him through a burning bush. Now, in the culture surrounding Moses, they believed in many gods. And generally speaking, in the ancient world, the gods did not speak to humans. They were aloof, unpredictable, capricious. Sometimes they were just considered to be impersonal forces. But the God of the Bible is different. So you have people like Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and now Moses, where God wants a relationship with them. And so frequently, he gives them a task. And usually, it's something that's going to stretch them. It's not going to be in your comfort zone. And here comes the task, the God-sized task, in verses 9 to 10. God says to Moses, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful, egotistical despot in the world, and I want you to tell him to release his primary slave labor force so that they can go out in the desert and worship a God he doesn't believe in. And also, I want you to go to the Israelites and tell them that they're going to just walk away from their Egyptian captors and go out into the desert where they have no food and no water. Get it done, Moses. And do you know what Moses says to God? Moses says, here am I, Lord. Send Aaron, right? <laughs> Send my brother. Now, this is an example of a God-sized encounter that's pretty extreme, isn't it? But you got to understand, God calls ordinary people like you, like me, in the same way to do God-sized tasks. In John 15, 7, Jesus says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. God's always doing something around you, and he invites you to join him in his work. But because it requires faith, it's, it's not always going to be easy. You know, for Moses, it was a burning bush. For us, it may be a need. Like maybe you notice that your neighbor has fallen on hard times. And you go, you know what, I'm going to go to Walmart, get a gift card, anonymously put it in an envelope, just drop it on their front porch. Or, or maybe you get a prompting, I can't stop thinking about my sister-in-law. But God, I haven't talked to her since last Christmas. Are, are you telling me to reach out to her? And you see, all these encounters are God-sized not because they necessarily involve some enormous sacrifice, but because they interrupt your regularly scheduled programming and ask you to get out of your comfort zone. See, you get to know God when you join him in his work. Okay, third part of this framework is this. What you do in response to God's invitation reveals what you actually believe about God. This is challenging. Now, Moses is eventually going to get it right, 
But his first shot at obedience doesn't go so well, okay? Verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You can hear his excuse, right? Surely you're not talking to me, Lord. Then there's Exodus 4.1. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? See, it's another one of our excuses. What if I do what you say and I fail? Or verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Um, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I gotta, God, what if you ask me to do more than I possibly can do? And then finally, verse 13, but Moses said, uh, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Okay, not one of these statements is a good moment for Moses. But I got to tell you, there's often a crisis of belief. There's often a crisis of belief, a hard decision when God asks you to do something. Jesus once made a very profound statement. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? You guys know it. Weak. I mean, the spirit's willing. We want to go to greater depths in our relationship with God. But the flesh is weak. Commitment erodes, resolve dissipates, follow-through freezes up. I mean, this 60-60 experiment should be pretty simple, right? Just set an alarm to go off once an hour and then take a few moments and interact with God. I mean, all of us want to stay connected to God, but it's pretty hard in those moments to just continually pause and really focus on Him. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Like we try to have a relationship with God, but something gets in the way, doesn't it? You know what that something is? It's something the Bible calls the flesh. It's this residual part of our pre-Christian life that's still hanging on. It's something inside of us that says, God, I'm not going to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. It's the flesh. Look at Galatians 5.17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other. They're literally at war with each other. You've got a battle going on inside of you if you're a believer. Our heart's desire is, yeah, I want to do this 60-60 experiment. I want to pray when that reminder alarm goes off. I want to listen and respond and do life with God. But there's opposition. There's resistance. Do you ever feel the flesh? It's not just you being spiritually lazy. It's not because you're a subpar Christian. All of us struggle with our flesh. And faith means acknowledging my flesh, but pushing through it, fighting through the excuses. So what I want to do right now is I want to take a minute to fight through Moses' excuses because they're the same excuses the flesh will put up against us when we seek to follow God. So let's walk through these. The first excuse, surely you're not talking to me, Lord. Surely, surely you're not talking to me. Sometimes you get the sense that you ought to do something. Maybe apologize to your kid for the harsh words you said to her yesterday. Or maybe it's just to encourage somebody at work. Or maybe it's to teach children in Sunday school. Whatever it may be. Oftentimes, the very first roadblock the flesh puts up is this. Is this feeling really from God or is it just from me? I mean, is this really the Holy Spirit telling me to do this, or is it just the burrito I had at Chewy's for lunch, right? What, what is it? 
And let me tell you, if it's not in direct contradiction to a biblical command, I want you to err on the side of believing it's from God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22 says, do not quench the spirit. Got to wonder, how often do we do that? (laughs) Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. God speaks, so don't quench. Don't snuff out the voice of the spirit in your life. Assume he's talking to you. I mean, be smart about it. Test it. Ask some questions like, is it consistent with the Bible? Would it be a loving thing for me to do? Would it take some faith for me to follow through on this? And if the answers to those questions are yes, then do it. All right, another piece of resistance is this. What if I do what you say and I fail? See, God says to Moses, you do the willingness and I'll do the wonders. See, our job is to be obedient. And then the outcomes are his department. And sometimes we never get any indication this side of heaven that what we did was the right thing, or we never see any fruit. But in the process of trusting God for the results, you draw closer and closer to him. And finally, the third piece of resistance the flesh brings up is this. What if God asks me for more? Like, what if I start listening and responding and and God just changes everything? Like, he wants me to quit my career or break up with my girlfriend or go move to a foreign country, live in a tin house and be a missionary. Like, what if God just keeps sucking more and more and more out of me? Can I, can I just tell you, honestly, God's not going to do that. God is not some killjoy trying to rob you of who you are. Now, will he consistently raise the stakes in your spiritual faith journey? Absolutely. But you know, there's a great promise that goes with this. His challenges are always proportional to your faith. Look at Romans 12, 3. Paul says, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Every time God gives you a mission, it's proportional to your faith. And this is kind of the dance of faith that we do with God. We pause, we listen, God speaks, and when we respond, you know what he does? He increases your faith, and he starts to do some crazy, wonderful, miraculous things all around you. And I got to ask you, do you want to live a monochrome, boring version of Christianity, right, where you don't hear God's voice, you don't respond, do you want to stay in a safe bubble, or do you want to see your faith grow? Do you want to see God do amazing things? That's really the question for this whole series encountering God, doing this experience. All right, let me close with the last part of this framework. Faith should be followed by action. You know, Moses does his dance of faith with God throughout the book of Exodus. And what's interesting to me is that in this burning bush story, God demonstrates tremendous empathy for Moses. And in so doing, tremendous empathy for us. God shows that he understands how hard it is for us as humans to have a relationship with an invisible God. Like, we can feel him, but but we can't touch him. I mean, he's close enough, I believe, but he's illusory enough that my flesh cries out and tells me that I, I may be crazy in this whole thing. So God makes Moses a promise. Look at Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am 
has sent me to you. Okay, that name I am is a verb, not a noun. It's God's self-description. It's an archaic form of the verb to be. And it literally means I will be with you. I will be there with you. God is giving Moses a descriptor of his core character, which is his presence. Moses, I'll be there with you. I promise. And he's saying the same thing to you each and every day. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be right there. I'll be working. You won't see it, but I'll be working. God's going to be there with Moses when he walks into the courts of Pharaoh. I'll be there with the Israelites when they go out into the wilderness. You know, he'll be there with you and I when we quit this 60-60 experiment after a few days. We get frustrated, and then we try to get back on track again. He'll be there with you in your moments of greatest doubt. He will be there. So maybe this morning, I don't know, maybe you haven't felt close to God in a long time. And maybe, just maybe, this whole 60-60 experiment could be your chance to connect with him in the simple everyday moments of life. Because when you pause and you listen and God speaks and you respond, that's faith in action. It's a simple willingness to respond. Try it out this week. Let's pray. Lord, we want to live well. Because we don't know. We don't know our days are numbered, and we don't know that number. And we just want to make the most of every opportunity you give us. And I know, speaking for myself, I know for many here, we don't want to settle for a a plain, boring relationship with you in which we never hear anything, never do anything. And we know that you're at work. We accept the fact that you're at work, and we just got to figure out how to get on board with what you're doing, to join you. So would you help us when we do sense a prompting not to ignore it, not to come up with one of these excuses like Moses did. Instead, help us to act on it, to move forward in faith, to trust that you're speaking, you're guiding, and you're leading. Help us to fight back against the flesh that's constantly at war with your spirit so that we can experience the full life, the abundant life, the best life possible. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, you guys have a wonderful week in the Lord.